Dead roads take me home to the place I belong. Roseless coffee, last wall nation, take me home, take me home. How's it going, everybody? Pretty good. Welcome. Who, sing, who sings yeah. that? Yeah. That's, uh, I do, so shut up, Nick. <laughs> yeah, you should keep it that way. <laughs> Thank you, I will. <laughs> got him. <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? Who, wait, hold on. Who got who just now? Because I knew where Nick was going with that, and I said, I do, and then Nick said, let's keep it that way, so thank you? <laughs> yeah, you, you got me getting you. Perfect. And Alex has me. Yeah, and you got Joe. <laughs> now and forever. Now and forever, baby. I'm going to get us rings made, but let's say... Uh, I got you on the in, on the inside, <laughs> and mine will say I'm not paying for you though. <laughs> and then it'll say, "But you got me right." <laughs> we have they got like it. five rings that you need to read <laughs> in sequential order to get the one joke. <laughs> All right, so here we are with our book one retrospective. I said it before. I can't believe nobody died. I can't believe is that no- true? Screen, nobody died. Yeah, nobody died. Like, it wasn't for a lack of trying on your end either, because I've been scared shitless almost every session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, I've yeah. definitely been feeling My that work too. is complete then. Well, it's not complete. It it's working. Alright. So before we get in, like I just like just I just want to focus on that for a second. Like, we already did Skull and Shackles. Spoilers for anybody listening that hasn't listened to that yet, but we did have a death in book one of Skull and Shackles. Um I won't name names. Who is that? Oh, <laughs> uh, for the most part, Skull and Shackles wasn't too deadly in book one. The very end of book one was like it, it was it was a a slaughterhouse. Bone Rack Isle was ridiculous. Yeah, Bone Rack Isle lived up to its name for sure, uh, and that's where we had that one. Wait, I'm looking, I'm looking at the chat feed. We used to be Swiss Army Scorpion, for any confusion that might be out there. We used to be Swiss Army Scorpion. Now we're inspired in confidence. But yeah, so this entire book has basically been Bone Rack Isle. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like when, we, when, when uh, it was just like Manny and, uh, why can't I, Scram were left facing like the big baddie. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, that's Water Rock. Yeah. Yeah. That feeling I had at that moment in Skull and Shackles has been the entirety of Tyrant's Grasp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and when we were when we were like gearing up for Tyrant's Grasp, I I sent you like one one of the many things that I sent you guys to just kind of like get you in the right headspace for like what to expect and what kind of characters to make, etc. Whether it's like setting info or like character creation tips, stuff like that. Um, and one of the things I threw together was kind of like a side-by-side with some broad categories, like uh, role-playing, intrigue, lore, combat, downtime. I think those were the big categories. And I was like, guys, Tyrant's Grasp is, as as far as combat goes, it's kind of like twice as hard as Skull and Shackles was. And yet nobody died. In book one, we'll see if that uh, if we keep that streak for book two. Who who here wants to wants to like be extra bold? Uh, which one of the PCs? Who wants to call it that we finish the campaign without losing any PCs? What zero oh, percent? Yeah, I'm not bold enough to make zero percent. I'll I'll take that zero 
negative percent. I'll take that action and I'll take it. And I can't believe the reason why I'm going to take it is because I am fully committed and confident in Joe's healing ability. I know it's crazy because I said I'm confident in Joe, but it's true. (laughs) Okay, wait. Hero deaths or are we just saying are we just saying PC deaths or are we also including like walkaways? Like if someone wants to retire their character, I'm not going to take that away from them. But if it's a like a forced retirement, like. I don't know if somebody takes a shit ton of dexterity damage and gets paralyzed and they're like, I don't want to play this character anymore. <laughs> and they remake a, a character. Uh, I will not count that as like a voluntary retirement. That would be, that's basically a PC being debilitated and uh, thrown in the towel. Yeah. I'd like uh, to hear from the listeners in chat who they think is most likely to die. I see uh, one vote for Vipira. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Oh, oh but in book four? Oh, somebody I'm somebody not... uh named Nick, not his character, and that's that's a little for Yeah, wait. Uh, <laughs> wait. Hold on here. <laughs> Why were there two votes for me and not my oh, character? No. Nick, Nick dies. Not, not Utrid. Nick. Nick will die. <laughs> so yeah, all right. So Nick, if you so you're calling it that nobody's no no PC deaths. So I think we're getting close, like, probably by level 7 to 8, 9, I feel like. It gets really hard to have a permanent PC death, right? Like, your healing ability gets so big, so many things have to kind of align to kill somebody, like, in one shot, just between AC totals, health totals, big heal spells, revive spells, so... I think we're getting close, like, if you looking at Skull and Shackles, like, pretty much, I think it was right around when we all hit level 7. We didn't have any more PC deaths after that point. Uh, there were, but... I'm pretty sure the, uh... Oh. I feel like, like that tuck, just tuck. The, the Vine Creeper fight was after level 7. Yeah, but that was... I think that might have been at level 7, <laughs> but, like, yeah, like, we lost Tuck Tuck and, well, um... And the Hood. The, the yeah. Crimson Mask. But we'll come back to the vine creature fight because we, we discovered <laughs> new information recently about this. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's archived now, so it's not relevant. So we're just going to move on. Um, so, so going back real quick, if we finish the campaign, like end of book six, everybody wins. No PCs die. Whatever we end up running after Tyrant's Grasp. If that happens, I'm going to give Nick a full allotment of hero points for when that happens. Oh, so he'll start yeah. he'll start the next campaign with three hero points instead of just one. Oh, and if it doesn't oh, happen, hold on, fortune wait. favors the bull, baby. Is there no is there no like repercussions if like one of us dies? Then Nick's out of the podcast. <laughs> Well, then, in that case, I'm joining in on that. No, bet. there's too late. nothing to lose. Nick no, did that. No, no, Nick, no, no. Nick made that call with good faith. You're only I doing did. it to gain something. <laughs> exactly. I made that call because I believed in Joe. I can't believe yeah. I'm saying <laughs> that. You poor, you sweet summer child. I will say the difference between like level seven in this campaign and like level seven in Skull and Shackles for us specifically is that our only healing right now is a paladin, yeah. and he's got a lot of healing. He doesn't have a lot of 
resurrection abilities. Yeah, true. But I can make that the is argument the, part, the where we could be the problem. We didn't really have a healer in Skull and Shackles until who was after Tuck Tuck? I, I, I mean, can't the Mass Shield was a war priest. Leon. And then Tuck Tuck was a druid, and they both have pretty good healing capabilities. Yeah, like, when Andrew made Leon, like that was like that was as good as it got as far That's as true. healing. A yeah. dedicated healer went before that. We always had like a divine caster that could heal and did. Like not a dedicated healer, but we had someone that could heal. Yeah. Here's here's my thought. Uh, like I will make that same call the moment that we can like go to a store and buy something too late I, well <laughs> or go to a town and yeah, then, yeah i mean that mm-hmm. that's when i'll make that call but like right now it's it's like a hard no and that's why yeah. nick's getting the possible reward and you're not because he made that call without any stipulation yeah have a little faith tom <laughs> have, have a little blind foolish faith all right on that note let's get it started so First, I want to go through some highlights from book one. I want to go around the table uh, and just kind of go through everybody one at a time and uh, get the answers to some of these questions. Let's start with favorite combat. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Um, I can't think of the friggin' thing's name, but my favorite combat has definitely been that goddamn, what was it, the, the mite that kept chasing Rugyar in, in Roslar's tomb. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. That was hilarious. Barple the Mite. Barple, that was it. Fucking Barple. <laughs> oh my god. I'll go next. My favorite combat was the one with the Duskwalkers and the Vampiric Mist. That was a lot of fun. There that was, was, that was a fun fight. There was so it was a tough fight, but there was also there was so much moving around. And I think that's what really did it for me. Like everybody was was run around there's like all these different rooms you guys were using cover and like just being really tactical and there leading up to the fight there was like this super tense moment everybody barricaded in this room knowing that there was going to be a fight and the like on the other side of the door them knowing that you guys knew that there was going to be a fight but they still were going to be the ones to press the button and then like after the fight we had that awesome interrogation scene uh, so like just that whole that fight just sandwiched between those two awesome moments and the fight itself was awesome. That was my favorite combat. Uh, I think my favorite combat was uh, the one right before uh, McTana. What's her name? Uh, the woman with the raven. Oh, Idy. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Idy. I don't know. Just that like <laughs> you know that that like quick decision making like. It it literally made the difference in like the next fight, like mm-hmm. with McTana. So like, you know, Viper just like stopping for a second and thinking. But it, that was a good fight. Okay, agreed. Who wants to not go last? I don't want to go last. That's for losers. All yeah. right, Nick, Nick, what was your favorite combat? Uh, I think my favorite combat so far was when we first got out of Rossler's tomb. And we were in the boneyard, and we had spent the night at like that kind of barn stable abandoned shelter thing with the well. And in the morning, we woke up. I forget what the creature was that. Was it Kycherik. 
It's like that uh, CR4 creature that Alex threw yeah. us the second we hit level two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in the spirit of peeling back the curtain for you listeners, uh, we found out after we recorded that episode that that uh, encounter doesn't exist. That was a an actual special just okay, for us. So that's not entirely true because it is it is in the back of the book in like the book's bestiary like each each ap book has its own little bestiary with like new critters that aren't from any like the core bestiaries as well as a random encounters chart that is fitting for like the wherever that book takes place so the kaicheric is in that bestiary and it's also on that chart of random encounters so it's not part of the campaign exactly but it was still I think in the spirit of things. I think the reason why that's been my favorite combat so far is it it was incredibly dangerous for us. Like I believe two characters might have been either unconscious or were on the verge of it. And like I really thought that was it. We were four episodes into this campaign and we were about to party wipe. And I think that at least for Uhtred and getting into his character head really set the stage of there's no letting your guard down, right? Like at that point, he had thought we got out of Rossler's tomb. Like, I don't really know where we are, but like, at least we're not stuck with all these wild monsters and dangers and we can kind of get our bearings. And like right away, it was just... Nope. Everything is getting so much worse from this point on. And if you even stop to take a breath, like you're going to die. You just have to constantly have your head on a swivel. Yeah, it really was a like a, a tone setter, I think, for the rest of the book. That's a good way to look yeah. at it. Because the whole rest of the book was just like, hey, you basically almost party wiped. Here's another thing that's going to almost party wipe you. And, oh, you got past that? Here's another thing. It was just bang, 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 bang. Another one. Another one. So, yeah, for me, that was my favorite. Nice. Uh, hey, Joe, do you have a favorite combat? Yeah. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I actually like those teeth boys. The tooth fairies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was just so weird and unsettling. And it fits so well with the stupid, you know, you're in this dead roads ass horrible setting that you don't want to be in and mm-hmm. Elias, there's a castle of teeth that's like nightmare fuel <laughs> you gotta fight all these fucking horrible monsters that just want your teeth and they took our teeth they literally were like give me your teeth yep I, that just that whole thing was just uh, something special about it so in a bad way but also a good way but yeah. also again in a bad way Uhtred's yeah. still missing a tooth from there right that's true yeah like Book one did a great job of it, like so it's a it's a survival horror campaign, but there's so many subgenres of horror, and book one did a really good job of just kind of doing a like a just a general tour of what those subgenres are with Roslar's coffer, the boneyard. Like uh, or yeah, like Rose Roselar's tomb, and then Roselar's coffer in the boneyard, palace of teeth, uh, the scriptorium, nine eaves, and then death bower. They all had something else to offer, whether it was body horror, like nightmares, uh, existential horror, insects, like it was just all 
all just a little it was just a little different and i think that's really important in horror especially like when it's like a long-term uh affair like what we have you gotta keep it fresh and i think book yeah really did actually yeah fresh is a good way to put it i mean i don't know what i was expecting but it wasn't what i got and that was awesome (laughs) because what we got was fucking cool agreed all right um let's move down to the next round table uh category funniest moment anyone want to go first I have this is mine, a hard but... one yeah go ahead tom if you got one right uh, it might be the same as mine yeah i think the slow clap was uh <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was gonna say uh but you know what a close second is uh uh, when Joe's like soul is like leaving his body, like, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> like oh, I yeah. think it's that just really more fun. or less like <laughs> Joe playing his character <laughs> that really made that situation for me. But yeah. definitely the slow clap is the top. The slow clap was just that. That was just classic Tom. Like that is just that was just on <laughs> brand. If you want to know what who Tom is as a person. <laughs> just just look no further clap. than the slow clap scene of episode 26 of Tyrant's Grass. Yeah, you know what one I gotta say is uh, it wasn't like an individual one, but Tom constantly name dropping. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, that was that was cracking me up the whole time. And, yeah. he, and he didn't even like, it wasn't even like, a, he didn't know he, didn't he was even, doing yeah, it. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. And it never worked. There no! was he, he was given no reinforcement of just keep it up. Like it, it's don't worry, you're doing a good job. It just never worked. And he just because the problem was most of these people didn't know any of the people he was name dropping. Humble like, yeah, and yeah. Theater, just two little cogs in the boneyard. You guys weren't even in the boneyard for most of the time. It was the dead roads. Like nobody's gonna know these two individual psychopomps. And Tom's just like, Umble and Thute have sent us. It's like Nobody knows what you're fucking talking about, Vipera. And you know what? Well, it's not going to stop once we get to the living plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh the wor- yeah, like the most likely way that it might have some sort of impact is if someone's like, "I'm going to remember that name," and then they go to the boneyard <laughs> and they learn who Umble and Thud are, and they're like, "You two are in big trouble." <laughs> like that's the most likely. If if anything happens, that's the most likely thing, and like you just get them in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Ugh. All right. Uh, that was Tom, me, and Joe. Who wants to not go last? I'll go next. I can, I kind of got two. Like, uh, that slow clap was fantastic. But I think for me, it comes down to either us constantly having to just trip and then sit on Vipera to keep her <laughs> yeah, away from Athena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wasn't um, fun for me. <laughs> All this build up into just me needing to be tripped. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious, though. <laughs> Um, and the other one is after we freed Kishikis, just listening to oh, him that was for the rest <laughs> of night. <laughs> yeah, no, I was uh, going to go with that. Amazing. Yeah, that's probably my number two. That was so much fun. See, I would even <laughs> go as far to say I think that was my number one because as un- unexpected as Tom having Vipira slow clap his way to mommy. Like, <laughs> I didn't expect that, but I expect that of Tom, right? Like, right, right. The Keisha Keish thing was so unexpected because how often do you basically just not clear half a dungeon and then if Only you have do, it cleared for you? Right. Most of the time, it's just kind of like everyone understands those things aren't there anymore, but it, 
for you to have that ability to really kind of role play a character more and it was unexpected and it just it was just room after room and, <laughs> ah you <laughs> cursed thing get out of here like uh, there, I found that super funny yeah, this house this house was literally filled with monsters <laughs> <laughs> yeah and like I went through beforehand and I was like because you freed him and no so the between sessions was I think we were mid combat. Yeah, And it, like, occurred to me, I was like, this house is still full of monsters. Like, what's going to happen? Because, yeah, like, that that is that is counter to the way I like to run things, where it's just like, oh, all the monsters left because, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, so I was like, what's going to happen? So I was, like, looking up Keisha Keisha's stat block, and I was like, oh, this guy's just going to, like, he's just going to crush any opposition that he comes across. Keisha Keisha's a CR9. Psychopomp. Oh like, oh, Keisha wow. Keisha is stronger than McTana. Yeah, Keisha Keisha <laughs> was stronger than McTana. Uh, and he's just hanging out at his Nineves Manor. And he just got sucker punched by uh, Vathis with his own staff. And, like, it's just that's, like, literally the only way that could have happened for him to get trapped in there. I'm sorry, just real quick. What what CR was McTana? Uh, so she uh, she's a Katrina Psychopomp, which is a CR5 monster. But she had enough levels of witch to bump her up to CR7. Wow, so Kisukis was still two CR levels higher than her? Yep. Yeah. He is a boss. He is a boss. He's the man. My boy, Kisukis. I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but... Well, whatever. forever now is for us. Yeah, yeah, sure damn is. right. Uh, okay, uh, let's move on from there, and let's go to favorite character moment, or if you want, just a uh, favorite moment in general. And without knowing that this was going to be a roundtable discussion, uh, I'm going to credit uh, the Hora with submitting this as his question for us. He just wanted to know uh, what everybody's favorite moment was in the uh, book in book one. So yeah, favorite character moment or just favorite moment? Okay, I'll go first. Right. Um, for me, it would have to be the final fight in the Scariatorium for kind of how that whole combat went because it was very heavy for my character being involved and also because Vipira was like the other, the only other character that really was like in the heat of that battle. And there had been a lot of friction and headbutting between Uhtred and Vipira up to that point. And just kind of that moment at the end there where they kind of had that like, yo, we both have had really fucked up shit in our past and felt kind of like a bond, a little bit of a bonding moment, right? Where, like, that was the moment where it was like, okay, we're coming together as a team. Yeah, that was uh, that was going to be my answer as well. I really liked that moment. And just the, the, the narrative side of it is really great. And it, like, even without that, just the visual I got in my head of Uhtred and Vipira standing over... Mrs. Pedipalp just pleading for her life and them just, no, no, you die. Yeah. And that, just executing her. Yeah. Like that whole scene was fantastic, especially considering like looking back, I don't think Mrs. Pedipalp dealt any damage to any of us, but we were in such bad shape for that whole fight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she didn't. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're, uh, you're right. She didn't land a single blow. Like, once she stopped casting all of her fuckery spells and started actually trying to uh, to hit between high AC and, uh, and uh, like, mirror images, she just couldn't land anything. Uh, uh, who else? Uh, favorite character moment? 
<laughs> I'm probably going to actually ride off of uh, that as well, because I, I really had a difficult time with like choosing something. And that was like the top of the list for me as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with the same thing, because it was definitely a moment where like you have these two who are just complete opposites in, in how they function and how they run things. Uh, and like, they just accomplished like the same task it, it, and it was just like a, a very nice, but like horrifying, like m- moment of like, we're in this together kind of thing. Yeah. Something that about that, that I haven't even shared with you, like any of you guys, let alone listeners. Um, the thing that really got me with that scene was when Tom, you were, speaking as Viper and you just kept saying not again not again not again and it just felt like those two words resonated so hard with who Uchard's character is like yeah yeah that was the other part of that just everybody had all of this just horrific baggage that they were dealing with during that fight from all these flashbacks and uh like voices in your heads and uh, so it really just ramped everything up tenfold, uh, Matt. This is it is a tough choice, but I think I I I almost feel obligated to go with uh, Rogiar meeting his son in like the echo of Roslar's coffer. Absolutely, yep. That that's my number two. Like just that whole moment, like Ro- Rogiar just like trying to come to grips with his new powers while getting out of that tomb and holding out hope that he wasn't going to find his son here and just like coming face to face with him in the town and seeing him have like that semi translucence that is that dead giveaway that he is dead and just having to deal with that in the moment. Like that was something I've never gotten to do as a role player. And it kind of makes me really glad for the backstory I gave this character. (laughs) I mean, no, okay. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I hear him moving around upstairs. He's fine. All right, good. That's just one of those, like, you know, when you think of, like, these of role playing characters, generally it's younger characters. A lot of them are orphaned for weird reasons. And, like, I don't know. I wanted to be something different. I wanted to be a middle aged dad, you know? Like, and I just feel like that's given me a whole lot of different opportunities to bring a different aspect to role-playing that I've never had before, and I'm really enjoying that. I think sure. it's also given you such a great foundation to role-play off of, right? Like, that's, that is carried through the entirety of the book, right? Like, you're constantly dealing with that encounter over and over and over again. Yeah, it's it's it, it has been a ton of fun. And, like, it gives him, even though, like, his son died... He still has that wooden bird and the familiar kind of as his son's spirit, like still with him. And he still has a family that he's trying to get back to. So like, not only have I already had that RP moment and like this foundational character, like characteristic that, and now he even has that as like a driving force for his decision-making going forward. Yeah. Uh, everybody else has like very uh, tumultuous backstories uh, where, you know they they've you know been around death or they made all these mistakes or they've got all these things to redeem themselves through uh Rogyar, for the most part like he he's he's got some stuff in his backstory that 
you know, wasn't a perfect, you know, perfect life. But yeah. for the most part, he was just kind of living his life. So that moment is, you know, for for him, that's his like tragic backstory. But it's like happening in real time. Yeah. All right. Um, Joe, can... what about yours? What did Joe go? No, he didn't. Oh, no. sorry. Not letting him off the I've hook. Been, I've been thinking this whole time. I don't know, man. What was the category? Favorite character <laughs> moment or just favorite moment. Or just favorite moment. I like how I don't know how to play the game still after 10 years. <laughs> I mean, we do too, <laughs> secretly. <laughs> no, it's just funny. Like, There's so many of those moments that I don't think the listeners hear <laughs> quite how many there are of me being like, all right, like right, I'm going to try and do this thing. And then you're like, all right, Joe, like. Do it right, though. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> my, my favorite is your inability to distinguish touch AC from flat-footed AC. You're like, yeah, all right. That's one of them. Does a, does a 28 hit your touch AC? And you're like, what do you think? Oh, my God, yeah, it does. <laughs> my touch AC is 11. <laughs> I my, thought it was the other just one. Like, one my, it's, more of a, <laughs> it's more of a metagaming that, you know, like, not necessarily a moment from the game, but, like, all of those moments, like, it just it just makes me think of, like, how much they're... Like, I've been playing this game forever, and there's still so much I haven't... I don't know. Yeah. So much we haven't done, you know? Like, so, like, all these things that we talk about, you know, especially on this recap, it's a great example of, like, all these moments that, like... Don't, don't make They're it. so unique! It's just crazy. Like, yeah. it's, like, infinite possibilities, infinite learning, infinite friendship and fun. Like, it's just so... The universe is so infinite, and I think uh, each of us do a really great job of, like, bringing something to that and, like, creating those experiences. I don't know if that's a lame answer, but, like, that's that kind of just has this book especially, because it's sort of more challenging, I would say, than some of the other ones. Yeah. So I feel even more like a rookie that's been playing for 10 years, yeah. and, like, <laughs> more crazy shits happen. I'll tell you what, like, I sometimes I, I'm kind of jealous of of joe's like and i'm not i'm not trying to like poke fun at him but I'm, I'm i'm jealous of like his like ignorance his naive naivete of yeah. the system because like and it's i'm like, not, oh to be that it's like you see a kid who's just like running around in the park like wow what a what a simple life that's so well nice. it's because like when when i first started playing pathfinder like everything was just this magic like, yeah, I there was no dots to connect, nothing for me to be like, oh, I like this is what's happening. Like, and I'm not I'm mostly the the GM, but on the occasions that I'm a player these days, almost anything that's happening, I'm capable of being like, oh, that's this spell. Oh, that's yeah. this monster's about to come out. Oh, that's that feat. They're, they must right. be this class with this archetype. Like, yep. I just know everything like by by like like the back of my hand not everything but like a good Most portion of not, not how plant really. creatures work yeah yeah but like <laughs> when i first started playing pathfinder is like whether it was like a player describing their character doing something or the gm like describing the the enemy doing something it was i was just like, oh like I, I didn't like there was no like connection for me between the narrative and the mechanics so it was yeah. just this 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 fantastic story being spun before my eyes that like the GM or the player they were just doing it and I was just like that's incredible and don't get me wrong I still have so much fun and a lot of times having that system knowledge enhances the fun but there are a lot of times where I'm just like 
man, like there was just this, I'll, I'll, I'll never be there again. Like with just how magical things are. You'll never know. That, you'll never think Santa's real again. <laughs> no, never. Um, Not after the incident. Yeah. Like to that point, like just the way I, I think of it too, is like, I think when like Alex and I go to make a character, we try to come up with like, Ooh, what is something fun that I haven't played yet? Yep. And I think when Joe is coming with a character, he's like, I want to use a fucking shovel. And we're like, (laughs) all right. Yeah. All right. Let's build a character off of that. Yeah. Like (laughs) off of the shovel. One of my, uh, one of my more favorite, like moments, I guess multiple moments. You already had your turn, Tom. Vipera yelling at Thelias to get into a flanking (laughs) position. Yeah. 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 Now flank, now flank, now flank. That's the that's the manifestation of my incompetence in the game, <laughs> <laughs> and that's been a fun that's been a fun thing. Vipera, yeah, it's a so fun RP strong. moment too. Yeah. <laughs> On that note of RP moments, I'd like to give an honorable mention uh, for another moment when we first entered Rossler's coffer in the Boneyard, um, and Uhtred and Father Crow were like going to the town hall. The role playing with Andrew throughout that, like, to the town hall and getting, like, doing all that and leaving the town hall felt like some of the best, actually, in the character, in the moment, not thinking, just reacting, that I've ever personally had playing Pathfinder. Um, Yeah. Like, like we were just, it felt like we were in such a flow and everything was so natural and it was like... I didn't think about anything I was saying. It was just a reaction, right? Yeah, it was so, really cool seeing Father Crow in that like that advisory role. Yeah, like you would think of like it almost felt like you were in a confessional talking, like just talking to a priest, and he was giving you advice. Yep. So that that, that was also another moment that ranked high for me personally. Yeah, I definitely like that moment too. All right, um, so let's move on. Does anybody have any other? So we, we just did favorite combat, funniest moment, favorite character moment. Uh, any other kind of broad category someone else wants to throw out for I us would, to go around? I would like to throw out like the uh, the t- the Harrow reading. That was okay. like, oh, yeah. probably call, one Tom. of like the yeah, creepier, like even just like outside of gaming. Like there was a lot of like, what the hell? Like this is this is a lot. Now I know. I know Alex did a lot of work uh, to make that, like, flow really well. Um, but, like, pulling that last card for um, for, Father, for Crow. Father Crow, just absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will say, that whole thing was amazing. And, like, I remember it was, like, shortly after we recorded that, or maybe it was shortly after the episode released, we all went over to Alex's house for his birthday. And, like, that was a good 45 minutes of discussion just us gushing over how well that went because yeah. that was just so much fun <laughs> yeah yeah and um there's that wasn't the last time necessarily that the pcs will have the, an opportunity to have a harrow reading done for them i i almost feel obligated to kind of name drop the dimension door podcast because that's one one of their pcs like that's like her thing and they've kind of made a tradition to do at least one Harrow reading per book and they've they've done more than that and they they do a really good job with that and is kind of my initial inspiration for hey wouldn't it be cool if we did that um 
but yeah, so kind of just shout out to Dimension Door because they're awesome and they do the hair readings too. Yeah, they are um, very awesome. Any of you that are listening to this, if you're not familiar with them, you should definitely go check out Dimension Door. Um, yeah, and also like for for anyone who doesn't know them, like they're. GM James was our guest in the Meanwhile episode back in Skull and Shackles. Yeah, he if was you the need janitor. That refresher. <laughs> the janitor. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so th- th- this was not the last opportunity the PCs will have to have a hair reading done for them. So I'm looking forward to when we can do that again. Uh, it's not gonna. Uh, it's not gonna be as, like as often as like w- the, what the Dimension Door podcast does because. You know, they have a Harrow reading machine as one of the PCs. <laughs> so it's just not in the cards. Hey, Dude. I still have my Harrow card. Yes, well, Uchard one, does, but one, I have that card in my deck. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm 132 away from a full deck. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's move on to the next segment, which is character growth. Uh, so for this part, I just want to go through the circle to all the PCs one at a time, and we can just have an open discussion with everyone's thoughts on each character's progression from episode one to episode 26. Let's start with, uh, I don't know, who do you want to start with? You know, because of that comment, I'm going to say Rogyar. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's start with Rogyar. What, just what, what comment? On, on the Discord, uh, Xenathos just said Rogyar has had the best glow up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's let's start with Rogar. All uh, right, just anybody anybody can like feel free to chime in. Uh, Matt, you can start things off if you want. Yeah, I will say coming into this, I was really excited for just the way I had set up Rogar. Just like he was coming into this campaign, he was just an unassuming, you know, merchant. Like not even necessarily happy with his life, but kind of content. And I just I was really looking forward to getting into this character who's just thrown into like a completely incomprehensible situation. And then on top of that, given these new abilities that just awaken in him and just how he has to handle that and learn to use them and grow. And I mean, he's definitely grown a lot in power. He is, I think it's very safe to say he is like, he's the group's canon at this point. Yeah, you Vipera know what? Oh, does some sure. hefty damage, but Rogiar's the cannon. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Watching uh, watching Rogiar like like develop his uh, like powers too, like the way how you RP it is just like it, it, it is almost like naive. Like you can very clearly see like you're just like over the course of time, you're just like like this is this is beyond my wildest dreams. Like when? Yeah, like yeah, like you can see Rogyar constantly like practicing and just kind of fiddling with his powers, and like Matt is doing a great job of having him like through that as he levels up, he gets better at it and can do new things. It's not just I leveled up now I can do this. Like he's always like you know just kind of toying around with things, and it, that turns into him learning to do new things. Um, I will say on that note too, like kind of going back to the character moments, but like the manifestation of his familiar during that scriptorium fight, that was just so much fun to do. And that was such a great character moment too. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Oh yeah. One thought I, I had, uh, ready for this, uh, discussion was, uh, I remember when Matt 
was first making this character and Nick was making his character and they like, like kind of first made that connection of, Oh, our characters kind of vaguely know each other. Uh, and Nick was like, Uhtred's this like real rough around the edges, kind of intimidator kind of guy. And Matt was like, well, Rogyar is like this uncle Iroh motherfucker who is going to be, you know, he's going to be Uncle Iroh to uh, Uhtred Zuko, and he's going to have all these, like, like silly sayings, uh, like, like all these words of wisdom. And at the beginning of book one, that was not the case. But that wasn't, you know, anybody's fault. Like, Rogyar had just been thrown into this. Th- everybody had, but, like, Rogyar was, like, he, he, he didn't have any class levels before that, or he was just, you know, a commoner or an expert or whatever. Uh, so like he was just trying to like find his footing the whole time. And then he found out that his son's dead and he was dealing with that. So it wasn't until like halfway, I think through book one that Rogiar finally started looking like the kind of like Confucius says kind of person that Matt had uh, envisioned all those months prior. <laughs> uh, and I, I have, for a little while, I was like, oh, like, I, I hope that, you know, just the way things went, it didn't, like, totally, like, throw Matt off course with that way he wanted to roleplay his character because he was really excited about that. But then, like, I think the first time he uh, Matt whipped out one of Rogiar's, like, words of wisdom lines was after Keisha Keisha's Harrow reading and Vipira was kind of, uh, she, like, she had that heart-to-heart with everyone about how unsure of herself she was and... Rogier had a really nice, like, uh, bad things are drawn in sand, good things are drawn in stone or something like that. Yeah. And, like, like so that was really awesome. And then he just kind of started picking up speed from there. So I was really happy to see that progression of things. Yeah, it has been nice to, to, to actually be able to kind of settle into that as as we've gone on. Like, obviously stuff is still very raw with his son dying and moving on and everything, but... It is it is nice to kind of have Rogier getting back to what I envisioned him as when we started. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Thalias. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, you want uh do you want to start us off? Yeah. Thalias is a weird one cuz there's like how to phrase it? Like he he came out into the dead worlds being like what the shit is this? But then there's been so much to shape his character that he feels like a completely different character after just one book, which is like kind of, I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I love it. But like, also, it's crazy. It's like so much has happened. So much, you know, wild shit has gone on that like, I don't think I've ever had a character be shaped that quickly. Yeah. Thalias has definitely, I think, had the maybe... Not counting Rogiar with like the, like the stuff related to his son, but the, uh, that uh, withstanding, I think Thalias has had the most uh, just existential crises. Oh yeah, yeah. It's throughout, been, it's been a <laughs> roller coaster. Just that that fall to infinity that he had. The, the oh, that time his soul sucked out. Yeah, that time he got his soul dog. ripped out. Yeah, it, he's he's had a, a very rough time. And I think like everybody's had throughout the the book, everybody's had uh, one or two 
or so uh, flashbacks of like that time something really shitty happened to them. But I feel like Thelias's flashbacks have been five minutes ago. The what? <laughs> They've been flashback to five minutes ago when he was getting oh. his soul ripped out. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm talking about like flashbacks to like his past. Like Vipera had that scene where like that guy got his throat slit and uh, Thelias had or uh, Uhtred had that scene where uh, like his parents were shouting. But like Thelias, he had the one scene where there's like all the dead bodies everywhere and like the like the naked chick covered in blood and then oh my uh, god yo that actually reminds me uh i wanted to say at some point i don't know when it would fit but your flashbacks for book one have been outrageous like i knew you'd do a good job but they have like they have shaken me and like inspired (laughs) me and like really like reached deep down and been like uh, they've just been crazy like i, I don't you. know how you do it but yeah especially the stuff those. in the scriptorium that stuff was yeah haunting yeah. seriously thank you i i've i've had a lot of fun i mean i i've made it no secret that i love writing and that's yeah that's been it's always been a big part of why i like being a gm but yeah it it's it's been a lot of fun taking everybody's stuff from their backstories and kind of doing like a lot a, a, a loose mapping out of like when I want to put what where and like when would be the most narratively potent point to reveal this part of this character's backstory in the campaign and yeah so be, being since we're like we're, we're on Thelias right now I'm just gonna throw throw it in there that like I saw so Joe and I kind of like like storyboarded his backstory together like for the most part like each of like each of you guys you you made your you made your backstories and you sent them to me and i kind of like went over them and like all right well instead of this do you like do you think that the character could have like that could have happened in like this city or could this tweak have happened and like you just kind of like like tweak it from there but joe and i like we we really dove into his character together and i i can't wait to to just kind of line up more breadcrumbs on like yes. the sequence of events that Thelias's backstory is because it is fucking wild. It, yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like every time I'm like, oh okay, you know, he he did some cool flashback there. Like he can't top that. And then the next one I'm like, oh my God, like <laughs> what when is this gonna, you know, reach a it feels like it's like building every single time. It's like a crescendo that's just I don't know. Yeah, and I don't and I don't want to uh make it sound like, you know, everybody else's backstories pales in comparison to Joe's. I just I, I feel like I just kinda have like a special connection to that one because I helped make it. Like everybody yeah. everybody made great backstories. Like there's also, no, there's no Alex, denying that. It's so fun to I feel like part of the reason why I am the way I am in D D is that I have so much fun just like playing with you guys and being like we we just busk and like joke around and like make stuff. Like it's so fun to just sit down and like talk RP or story or whatever with you. Like yeah, some of the it's funniest best stuff isn't even going on in game. We're making it into episodes. Yeah, yeah. Like it's the most fun I have. Really, uh, like you know, fa- like do like being with my family and stuff. Notwithstanding, like yeah. it's it's the most fun I have doing anything. Pretty much, I love you guys. 
I love you. Love too. you. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts for Thalias and his his growth? Oh, uh, I had a thought. I'm glad that Vipira has been the way Vipira has been, because for a while it seemed like I was going to take up the mantle and be a leader. Uh, but now it's like, a, is he a leader or is he a second in command or like who is this guy? Vipira is really sort of. I, I don't know. I like playing with Vipira a lot because yeah. I, I never know what to expect, and it's always something. Yeah, I, I always enjoy uh play, like. Even if it's more in like the mechanical sense, I always enjoy like Thalias's like run rounds and like other things like because then I got to like think about next turn like, oh man, like he just <laughs> he went off to yeah. this corner when he's supposed to be over here. I know. All right. I aimed Joe. I pressed go. <laughs> but but oh man, right? it's, it's been a whole round since that happened. I need to figure out where I need to be now. <laughs> I gotta say, one of my favorite dynamics too, like, like the whole Vipira and Utra dynamic has been great, but I love the competing thing with Thalias trying to be like the protector of the group <laughs> compared with Vipira's like suicidal need to run headlong into danger. Yes. Yep. yep. I, also, That's to kind of awesome. build off of that, I love the dynamic of very early on, we were like, all right, Thalias. You are our front line, go first, and like you're our meaty guy. And from that point on, Viper's like, Yeah, I'll go in first, I'll charge at him. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. When I built Viper, it was like straight up supposed to be like, like a get over scram kind of character. Like, I just gotta face my first death kind of thing. <laughs> You're trying so hard trying. to kill yourself. Yeah, I've been trying so hard, but it's not, it's not <laughs> happening. I remember when going back to character creation, I remember uh, at one point Tom was playing with the idea of being like an older uh, an older woman, like still Vipera, but just like middle-aged or older. And I was like, well, if we're doing that, then you got to use the the age, age rules. And you got to be middle-aged, and that's these stat adjustments. <laughs> and Tom was like... I don't like them. And I was like, sorry. And, uh, I mean, honestly, like it, like I feel like I, like I move stuff around. I was like, like this, this is almost identical to what your stat block was before the adjustment. I think you just lost like two con or something. Yeah. And Tom was like, no, I'm going to need that. con." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was and I, was, right. <laughs> I was like, all right, if you really think so. <laughs> And boy, howdy, <laughs> has my Pira needed that extra two con? It's been a lifesaver, yeah. really. This one is uh, this one is recent, but I love the power spike that Rogar's got. Like Elias is fighting with the shovel, and then Rogar <laughs> is obliterating people. So like yeah. that's like a fun thing. That's it's a little more recent, but Elias is like you know this holy man who is like going after. Uh, you know, he, he like went to um, the war college and he fancies himself a fighter and like a sort of justice man. And mm-hmm. Rogar is the goddamn bringer of rain. <laughs> He's like hellfire and brimstone. Just unbelievable. It's like yep. Thalias has taken notice of this. And uh, there's there's going to be some character developments in that vein for sure. Yeah. Well, nice. to that point, too, I will say like you also... <laughs> Almost never remember to use power attack. 
And yes. Well, I'm afraid Alex is going to kill me if we're being honest with ourselves about. I know power attack exists, but then I look at but, what it's going to cost me. But power attack like, doesn't lower all, your AC though, unless you drop the shield. But the other point I was going to say oh, is, but you that's also the trick, isn't it? That's the oh, like I can do a little more damage if I lower my shield. No, but I was saying you don't even have to lower your shield. You can just power attack one handed. But yeah. the other thing is, you also haven't had a lot of opportunities to smite evil in this campaign yet for what this campaign is this entirety of book one there were very very few evil creatures that's true stay suspiciously stay tuned (laughs) um so we we got we got into vipira a little bit just now let's uh let's stick with that let's focus on vipira and uh her growth yeah I feel like Vipira, everybody's growth is kind of like a curve of some kind. <laughs> Vipira's just been flatlined through this entire campaign. <laughs> she hasn't learned a goddamn thing. Vipira it, emerged <laughs> from that tomb fully formed. <laughs> <laughs> Out of her chrysalis that was the coffin in Roslar's tomb. As much as everybody gives, like, Vipira shit, she's also prevented the most amount of combats as well. Uh, like, going into the uh, the Tooth Fairy uh, place, I prevented the... Uh, Vipira prevented the combat that, like, was supposed to immediately happen where they have, like, their pliers out, yeah, ready to go, and I was just like, I'm going upstairs. You've also probably created every other combat, so kind of... <laughs> You've, cre- you've yeah. had a hand in how every combat has started, so. I... But I will say to that point too, like that the one of the things that I think shows how much Vipira has grown is the fact that she didn't kill Ivy. Ivy. Yes, at I the end totally of that fight, agree. despite having a, a very obvious opening to do so. Yep. Yeah, I really wanted to show that like character development is like Vipira isn't supposed to be like she's not supposed to be an absolute murder hobo without like any sort of like morality or anything like that uh that's also why she didn't want to actually murder anybody including like the crow well even it's in not... uh even in rossler's coffer when you when she was at the tavern alone the first time she kept trying to like warn um i forget what the npc's Gary. name was that Garrett up... Tharmethian. yeah she kept being like don't don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. Like, hey, anybody in this crowd want to like back me up? Like, yeah. Like she she doesn't. I don't think she. I've never viewed Viper personally as a murder hobo. Just I'd Ready rather. <laughs> I'm just, just so, yeah. I yeah. She'd rather claw claw first than ask the question. Right. Yep. Oh, I'll, I'll be the first to to say that. Claw claw. Then as a free action, I'm gonna <laughs> interrogate them. And if on their turn they attack me, that's on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, I, I've definitely grown into, like, uh, enjoy playing Vipira. And, like, that murder to happen very soon if it was going to happen. Like, my like the death of before Vipira would be really nice <laughs> before I get super invested into her. No, uh, you live. Oh, God. You live with it. I don't... I, can't do that into the like especially going into like another ap if like none of my characters die and then like one day like it's just all falls apart on me like i'm just over here kill me please somebody (laughs) 
<laughs> Me and Tom are trying to go two for two for complete APs with one character. I, I think it'd be too much going into the, like the third. I'd just create a suicide bomber at that point. <laughs> a boom, a boom, a boom. <laughs> uh, all right, and last but not least, Uhtred Bebenberg. I love the voice. The voice is legendary. I'm Uhtred Bebenberg. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, for Uhtred and his character, like, his growth has been, um, like, early on, he kind of, I mean, he still does, like, has this, like, it's his job to protect the people of Rossler Coffer, right? And, like, since they all pretty much are dead now, in the beginning, that very much transferred to, like, the immediate group, and... Like that, that for him is driven out of not like being necessarily a good person or having this high moral code. It's more driven from the fact that he feels like he has to live up to being the keeper of the light. And now, like, real quick on that, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I really love how to this day it hasn't been disclosed what that means. Like, what does yeah, keeper of the light means? I nobody has that's it hasn't been a word uttered about that. What does it mean, and why does Uhtred hate that nickname? We haven't gone over that yet. <laughs> um. So, well, I'm not gonna think here. Do I want to disclose all of that yet? Ah, uh, that's that's your call. It's your character. Someone so I will. Uh, no spoilers. All right, I was gonna give a little one, but. Sorry for anyone listening to this, but the chat doesn't want any. So, yeah, so his growth so far through book one has been the realization that his whole life... Now, bear in mind, Uhtred got the title of Keeper of the Light when he was, like, ten years old, right? So it's easy to look at it now and say, like, why do you, why would that bother you so much as, like, a 27-year-old man? But it's literally his whole life he's been dealing with that weight and pressure of that title and somewhere along book one in the middle he stopped working so much effort into being the keeper of the light and kind of just became that like yeah he powered up and stuff but like his whole life has been about i have to do these deeds to prove that worthiness and for the first time it wasn't about living up to that title it was about do this or die right yeah. And I think that was seen a lot at the end when he actually referred to himself by the title. Yeah. Like it stopped he he kind of stopped obsessing over what it meant to live up to being the keeper of the light and instead kind of realized that like what he's been doing is living up to being the keeper of the light. Yeah, uh, that's exactly how it has felt from the character standpoint. And and I and I think like that will grow and now we we as players have no knowledge of what's coming up. We don't read anything, right? So you better not I fully <laughs> swear to fucking god if anyone's reading these books. You know I can't read. I I think it's <laughs> you know I can't read. I I think it's very likely that even though Uhtred's kind of finally being coming into that, uh, 
it's very likely that confidence he's found will be shattered by something that just wrecks us. Yeah, like there haven't there haven't been any PC deaths. But if there are, and if that death isn't Uhtred, I'll be interested to see how Uhtred reacts to that. It would not not be good for him. Anybody else have any thoughts on Uhtred and his growth in book one? So many thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I enjoy, uh, I I always enjoy, like, Uhtred's, like, the moment, uh, more specifically, like, the moment uh, right before, like, McTana's, like, house popped up, like, or, or her manor, like, popped up in the, like, distance, how, like, uh, you and Rogar shared a moment uh like where he's playing with this pet and like you you like crack that smile for the first time i thought that was like a really solid moment there that was great yeah that was like the moment of him kind of really letting go i feel like in just a normal campaign there's so few opportunities for like to, to have that scene of like everybody can breathe like and just enjoy this thing and like reflect on the fact that they're enjoying it like yeah like in your average campaigns like we go to the bar and we get drunk woo like have a saucy night with some bar wenches and blah 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 and like that happens all the time but like i feel like it happens so infrequently where the players themselves stop and reflect on like man like we were just like slaying a dragon yesterday and we all almost died and we're just kind of like, like we're able to just kind of have fun right now. And that's so special. And like that player reflection is like, I feel like it's, it's so rare and yet it's so powerful. And like Tom said, that little moment, it wasn't a big part of the episode, but it really, it really grabbed me to that point too. Like the, uh, the whole kind of like interacting with each other while we're on watch thing I'm not sure how often we had really done that as a group before, but I know like over the last few years, I've done a few like play by post campaigns of varying lengths on discord. And like one of the first ones I did that became such a welcome thing. Every time we would settle in for the night, we would have just these like days long on discord discussions over text, just in character going back and forth and kind of like, really getting to know the other character and like even getting to know your own character. It's a great moment where there's really no stakes involved. You can just be the character and let it come out. And it is something that I really enjoy doing. And it's something that you don't really think of because it's like, Oh, we're setting watches. Oh, nothing happens. Good. Let's move on. You know? Yeah. And I feel like we didn't get any of that in Skull and Shackles because we were on our own fucking boat, right? Like, you just let some peon go do watch. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, we we basically uh, we didn't really do much with watches in Skull and Shackles, and we didn't really do much, if I recall, in Kingmaker. So you're talking about almost six years that we've been playing where we haven't even incorporated having to do watches. Yeah. Yeah not, yeah, not since, like, the early days of when we were doing Kingmaker, when you guys were actually exploring the wilderness. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on any any character growth? Any, um... Yeah. On, on Uhtred, it sort of feels like he's, like, a glue. Every time that I feel like, at least for Thalias, there's always... Maybe it's the voice, man. I don't know. I love the voice so much. It's just like a... Like, a, you're with me, like... 
it's just reassuring for at least Elias and I think the whole group to have like this cohesive dude who just like I don't know Elias has like some some unspoken magical connection to Uhtred that hasn't really been explored yet but it's definitely been a big factor in like Elias's you know psyche and development I think it's really understated too so that's why I'm actually saying it out loud <laughs> like I don't know if you felt it but it's yeah, like this glue I... that like that binds us all together like Elias is recently talking about how like you know we've got this team and like this team without Uhtred like I don't know what that team looks like yeah I get that that kind of in a roundabout way <laughs> reminded me of uh, the moment where uh Salaghar was like who's the most responsible and someone's <laughs> like hmm, yeah three-way tie between not by Pira. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah that's a great one dude that's an all-timer <laughs> um yeah no i definitely see utrid as as like the he is he is the captain america i think of the group he's like yeah he's, he's got the he's he's like the heart and soul like making sure everybody makes it to the next day right and i don't nick is that something that you have like been like overtly meaning to do or is that just like popping I- up I don't think it it's like something I've like consciously done, but like that is the character that I kind of envision. Like again, Uhtred is not doing this stuff out of I'm a good person, it's the right thing to do. Right. It, it's all driven from guilt and fear of people finding out like that he's really not worthy of being the keeper of the light. So, it's it it isn't ever been a conscious decision like Uhtred's like oh I got to keep everybody together but I think the fact that he's just always kind of knows like okay I got I want to do things and accomplish things thinking it'll make myself feel better he's right, been very right. consistent and when you're in uncertain areas and not sure what's going on anything that you know you can start to consistently like rely on kind of gives you that togetherness so all right um now i'd like to move on to uh the meat and potatoes the q a potatoes oh all right so we've got i think a fair number of questions from listeners and i think you guys might have some questions too is there any specific way we want to do this like maybe like go one i want to go first Okay. <laughs> I've been dying to ask this question. So when we were in the Palace of the Teeth and Uhtred set off that trap that almost broke Rogar in two. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we found the scimitar. I want to know, A, is the campaign written with that as an actual adamantine scimitar? And B, is there even a weapon you're supposed to find there? Did you place that in? That's a very good question. There is an adamantine warhammer, I believe, that uh, that the group finds amongst all the broken shit. But I I looked at that one. Who's going to use the warhammer? Uh, Thalias, maybe. Um, war shovel. Or, yeah, war <laughs> shovel. Yeah, I just kind of I just turned into a scimitar, going, well, yeah, Nick's been looking for a scimitar. This is the right spot to give it to him. Well, thank you very much, because book one would have been absolutely awful if I never found a scimitar. Well, thank God it wasn't awful. 
All right. Uh, so that's one question. Uh, Let's. I got a question. Okay. Um, and, and after Tom's question, we'll go to a listener question. Back at the Palace of Teeth, uh, in your opinion, what fight would have been harder between the Queen and the uh, and Prince Uspid? I think the Queen would have been a harder fight because Prince Uspid had, I think, four Tooth Fairy lackeys with him. Queen Carnassial had uh, Scritcher, the Esselbach Psychopomp. The uh, thing that gave us her. a bunch of trouble with pulling out Thalias' soul on its yep. own, much less paired yeah. with another powerful NPC. And so this is I'm I'm about I'm about to you know fill Tom's head with all sorts of ideas of grandeur <laughs> and you did the right thing. But so and and this is why I fucking love this game so much. And going back to what Joe said, it's infinite possibilities. I don't think I don't know, may, maybe it happened in a bunch of them, but I, w- I wanna I wanna think that this was unique to our playthrough where you guys fought Prince Uspid and instead of killing him, knocked him unconscious with his DR and then made the decision, let's take him with us as a bargaining chip. Not really knowing if it would do you any good, but just be like, well, we don't know what else to do. Instead of just murdering him, why not take him with us? The two tooth fairies that flew out to you guys on the catwalk after you fought the first Esobach psychopomp. Yep. Those were tooth fairies with levels of rogue. And the catwalk had its own built-in mechanics where anytime you take damage while on the catwalk, it's narrow enough for you to be able to walk across without any problems. But if you take damage while on the catwalk... You, I forget what the role is, but you risk falling to the courtyard like 30 feet below. Oh, my God. But you guys had Prince Uspid's body with you. And the whole reason those tooth fairies were there, those were like the queen's retainers. And so they're there like as the queen's last line of defense. Uh, and they saw that you had his body. And so they're like, all right, come with us. So you guys just totally blew past that encounter. In addition to... <laughs> and I I think it was the very next episode. Someone was like, oh, what if we fought a mimic? Ha 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 ha. You also blew past a mimic. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was in the room right before Queen Carnassial. It was disguised as like like that like folding screen, that like changing screen. Oh, yeah. In yeah. that room. And but this like the mimic was loyal to Queen Carnassial. So like, you guys were being escorted to her by her retainers. So then it was just like, all right, yeah, go. I don't care. But so if you hadn't fought Prince Uspid and also had him with you, you would have had to fight that what would have been, I think, the hardest encounter in Palace of Teeth, the, the two Tooth Fairy rogues on the catwalk, and then fought a mimic, and then possibly fought Queen Carnassial. But like... You could have also hit the the possibility of, you know, like Prince Uspid's like, go kill Queen Carnassial, and you're like, okay. And then you fight the Tooth Fairy Rogues and you fight the Mimic, and then you get to Queen Carnassial and she's like, go kill Prince Uspid. And like at that point, you guys would have been, would have had to either been like, okay, go back down and kill Prince Uspid or kill Queen Carnassial. So it came down to there was one faction leader that you had to kill. But since you killed Prince Uspid and you had his body, 
almost everything to do with Queen Carnassial's faction. They just let you guys walk right past. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Now, is that... Are you supposed to... Like, is there one you're supposed to fight as the AP is written or designed? The AP assumes that you kill... That you meet with Queen Carnassial and then agree to go kill Prince Uspid. But it doesn't say, like, they have to do this or this is the right way to do it. But for the sake of, like, saving space in the AP and, like, cohesion, there's usually... Anytime you're met with, like, a fork in the road kind of situation, the AP usually assumes... Like, it takes the most likely thing and it assumes the PCs do that. And then might, like, sprinkle in some, like, if the PCs, like, did this way back, then you might need to adjust accordingly or... You know, something like that. But yeah, so the you guys basically did it did what the book assumed that you would do, maybe a little out of order. But yeah, so I, I absolutely loved that. Um all right, so let's go to some fan questions. First we've got this is submitted by J Train One on Discord. Awesome name. And it's yep, and it is a question for everyone. J Train One says Pathfinder APs sometimes have strange ways of throwing the PCs together for the opening of the campaign. What do you think of the Skull and Shackles opening versus the Tyrant's Grasp opening? They were the same. Yeah. You they were about, kind of the same. They were the exact yeah, I mean, same. They, not no. exactly, though, because, I mean, with Skull and Shackles, like, we got thrown together on the ship, but, like, we did kind of have to forcibly go, like, oh, the four of us are just going to stick together now. Whereas there were other other NPCs that, you know, logically a new recruit on a ship could have gravitated towards a different group rather than sticking together. Whereas in Tyrant's Grasp, it's literally the five of us wake up in a dark room. Yeah. Well, it was that's, the, it was work, the same, work together or die. It was the same setup, but one yeah. was the social angle. The other one was the combat angle. Right. If they were the exact same, you guys would have woken up in the ship and had to fight your way out of it. Okay, yeah, but yeah. You, that's not exactly what I meant. I meant the question was in terms of like camp APs can sometimes have a weird way of forcing everyone together. Tell me which campaign this applied to. PCs were out minding their business one night. They woke up in a strange new place. like With no memory of how they got there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, if you want to look at those broad strokes, then yes. They are identical, and it is funny that I I feel like most APs don't do that, and yet we've played <laughs> through the the two that do. Yeah, <laughs> like even like just the other example, like the the other the two APs that I've run so far is Kingmaker starts with all of you kind of like being given this task of taming this wild area, and then War for the Crown, you're all brought together based on your reputation and set of skills by by like the NPC quest giver. So that's that's very different than the, you know, you get knocked out one night and wake up and have to survive. And it's funny because so those are the two campaigns that Matt's ran and they have almost the same sort of springboard into the campaign. And then the two campaigns that I've run have shared the same springboard into the campaign. Like uh, War for the Crown and Kingmaker have both been like this third party has given you a mission to accomplish this task together. You might not have known each other beforehand, but uh, promises of improving your station are attached with completing this task. Uh, Okay, Uh, let's keep going. We have another 
uh, question submitted by JTrain1 through Discord. And for everyone, he, he wants to know, do you think the crit and fumble deck is unbalanced? I think it's absolutely unbalanced, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. In the best way. <laughs> yeah, the fumbles yeah. definitely aren't as significant uh, as the crits are, but I feel like that's how it should be, right? Like, yeah. But at the same point, we have had our fair share of crits that like haven't done anything. Yeah, that's true. Yep. I think it depends on what you refer to as significant because I think it I think a lot of the fumbles like open us up to something that the uh that the opponent has going on. So like for example like leave it, uh leaving us like prone or something like that. Now we're like completely vulnerable to like uh you know three plus attacks like with no like defense. I think my favorite fumble was in Roslar's tomb when Thalias, when you guys were fighting that uh, bone cobra, Thalias was Ugh. like stuck in the spittle. And it was like, while you're in the spittle, you are, you're entangled. So that's a minus two to hit. But also, as long as you're entangled, you're sickened. That's another minus two to hit. And then Thalias uh, got a fumble, and the fumble was take a minus four to hit. <laughs> And so yeah. suddenly Thalias is like, I have a minus eight to hit. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on. J Train 1 con- uh, submitted a lot of questions. So let's move on to somebody else. We'll uh, break break up his, uh, his uh, cluster of questions. Uh, this question's for Tom, submitted by Nick Putney through Patreon. Oh. We haven't seen much of the Masked Brotherhood elements yet. But how much does Tom know about Vipira's place in the organization, and how does he think the trip to the Boneyard affects that standing? Now, I'm going to preface Tom's answer with, I don't know if it's really come out yet that Vipira is in the Mass Brotherhood. I think the only time it was mentioned was <laughs> in when we were doing like character intros, yeah. when we were still running Skull and Shackles, yeah. and Tom was like, my character is Vipira Draco. And she's going to be in the Mass Brotherhood. It's going to be awesome. Um, and I'm also going to say that if you want, if you as a listener want more Mass Brotherhood action, you want to listen to War for the Crown because they're going to be fucking everywhere there. They they will have a presence in Tyrant's Grasp, but Tyrant's Grasp is not an intrigue based campaign. So they'll be in there when they're in there. Uh, but that said, go ahead, Tom. So it was actually stated a few times that Vipira's um uh Vipira has gone through like training of sorts um yep and uh a large portion uh, uh, like Vipira thinks she knows her standing inside uh the Mass Brotherhood um which is close to like you know more of like an outside contractor like you know I, I I worm my way into like low level, you know, things going on, you know, such as gangs and uh, uh, amongst other things. So like you're more in the Brotherhood than Mast Helmet was, but not quite as much as the Mast Shield was. Right. Which is bullshit. <laughs> so much bullshit. <laughs> my peer is your boss. Um, <laughs> so she is, uh, she's pretty... Like, she essentially thinks that the Mass Brotherhood thinks of her equally as, like, a troublesome, like, resource. There's a lot of playful things that 
I have in the back of my mind that I'm going to do with that. Uh, that's in the backstory. But you will definitely see uh, like that development even after her death. Uh, there, there's a little bit of a, a little bit of something that that's available to that. Right, uh, right. Does any anybody here have any questions that they want to ask before we get to more listener questions? Nothing's coming to mind yet, so we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, give us another okay. listener. Sure. This one comes from Automator on Discord. In almost every encounter, it felt like the party skipped diplomacy and went straight for combat. I know that a couple of the combats had alternative diplomatic options, and also that some of those are written to where the combat is inevitable. What goes into deciding whether or not to try diplomacy in a given encounter? Is it a question of party makeup? Is it character considerations primarily? Are you as players more inclined towards combat, which could also inform what characters you build? Has Alex just made you so paranoid that you treat everything as an enemy? Yeah. Let me preface this. One. If you, yeah, please, please, if you have a Vipera in the group, it's it's probably going to turn into a combat really quick. Yeah, I was going to say this. This discussion has one answer: Vipera. <laughs> <laughs> and once again, yeah. Go ahead, I think Nick. I think Uhtred would absolutely love to take more of a diplomacy approach with a lot of these encounters, but it's just gotten to a point where Vipera has made it has been consistent and also. Everything in here has been trying to fucking kill us. So, like, at a certain point, you're just like, yeah, Vipira, swing first. Like, obviously, this yeah. thing's going to try and kill me, too. To that end, though, like, I am wondering, like, which, now that we're done with book one and it's, you know, too late to go back and change it, which ones, which combats kind of, like, could we have talked our way out of? Um, That's an interesting Prince question. Right. Or Queen Carnassial. Now, there's also, the book is like, if they just went, like, full murder hobo, then Queen Carnassial drops her stamp and they can do it themselves. It's, <laughs> like, the only option, really, at that point. Um, Reed Reaper, and you guys did not attack him. Yep. Uh, as soon as, like, he walked around the, the hedge, and he was like, hey, let's talk. And you guys were like, alright. Uh, Idy, that was an inevitable encounter, but... She was like, let's talk. And Vipira started that dialogue instead of just charging at her. Interestingly enough, McTana was, uh, there was a diplomatic out. What? What? Yeah, the slow cap killed that one immediately. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, basically, uh, you had to string together, I think, three pretty tough diplomacy checks to lower her attitude from hostile to indifferent or maybe even beyond that to the point where you've just shaken her faith and what she sees as what's actually the right thing to do. And she's just like, like sick to her stomach, just lets you leave convinced, Wild. convinced that she was actually wrong. Um, I feel like yeah. we did a diplo did we not do no. a diplomacy check with her, with her? There may not have been a diplomacy check, but that doesn't sound like us. At no point did it really feel like you guys were like gonna go down fight. that road. Yeah, yeah. That, well, there was at the very beginning, like even after, like as goofy as the slow clap was, like there was a there was like a brief conversation, like where uh, you know, I know a lot of us were like. 
this isn't balance. Like, what are you doing? And then I think yeah, but that was more of a of a semantics battle than like let's not fight. It was really her aura. I think that really took that. If I remember her correctly. aura of calm emotions got yeah. your blood boiling. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess Have that's a little Pira? bit ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to stretch my my memory out and see if there are any other encounters that could have had diplomatic. I think outs. The, the only other one that kind of comes to mind might be like Mrs. Pedipel, but I'm not yeah. sure. No, she was always going to try to kill you guys. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Rogar made the right call. Yep. Yep. Yeah, McTano is definitely the big one, uh, and I I appreciated the hell out of Paizo for. Writing a diplomatic end to the final boss encounter of a book. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Like I I was reading that for the first time. Like, th- are you fucking serious? This is wild. Like they can just talk their way out of this after everything. This entire book of just like I'm reading it, like doing the slow clap. Like <laughs> here we are. Like all the shit that we've gone through, and just the play the PCs can just. Don't kill us, please, hard enough to get out of it. And I don't know, maybe it was because the the PC's relationship with McTana was a bit more, I think, toxic at that point than it was written into the book. Uh, Honestly, to that point, I think those scenes that you gave us, like at the end of every way station of McTana just popping into, it almost seemed like, I mean, she was kind of pleading with us, but it almost seemed like she was taunting us, too. Mm. And I think by the time we got to her, I think we were all convinced that there was no talking her down. Like, she was in our way and needed to be put down. Yeah. And, like, as 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 much as I praise Paizo for including that diplomatic option at the end of the book, just from a writing standpoint and how the book is formatted, McTana winds up being kind of a weaker final antagonist because like the way it's, and it's kind of like, it's tough because you have that initial encounter with her through her witch crow in the ghostly Roslar's coffer, because if she was there in person, like God forbid, we would just die. Vipira's (laughs) like, have at you and charges at her. And that's just because <laughs> her final mission is to see you guys killed. So like, it's not like she's going to be like, no, no, no. Like, let's not do this yet. Like if you guys like threw yourselves out, she'd be like, all right, well, let's just do this then. Like makes makes my job easier. But then after that, you literally like, there's no word of her until Salakara scriptorium. When Salakara is like, by the way, McTana still wants you guys dead. And she, you know, she threw me out of the scriptorium because I wouldn't kill you guys. And then, like, you go through Death Bower, kind of hearing about her again, and then there she is. But, like, there's no actual, like, she's she's just kind of this, like, like dark horse that just kind of swoops in at the end. And there's there's little kind of agency between her and the, the PCs. Yeah, Honestly, so that, that, that reminds me of the book six boss in kingmaker yes like if you read the kingmaker books you know that there's this character behind the scenes the whole time but like for the players she kind of just comes out of left field after book five yep 
And that was honestly one of my favorite parts about the Kingmaker video game is they really sprinkle her in throughout the game. So she feels like an overarching boss the whole time. I remember watching this. Uh, Paizo actually has a YouTube channel and they'll do like uh, like Q&A's or like like writer spotlights, stuff like that. Uh, and it's a lot of it's pretty interesting. But that reminds me that they were talking about. Uh, I think they were talking about exactly that, like the Kingmaker game and the differences. And so, someone brought up the fact that the the final boss, like she has a, a greater presence throughout the game. And they were like, it's funny because we started with, um, what was the first AP? Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Rise of the Rune Lords. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. AP 1 of Pathfinder Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, what did you say, Matt? Rise of the Rune Lords. Rise of the Rune Lords. And then after that was Curse of the Crimson Throne. And I think after that was like Council of the Thieves or like Kingmaker, I think was their fourth AP. And they were like, our, the biggest, the biggest complaint that we'd gotten from a villain standpoint was why does the villain have to be like the main focus of the AP? And like, like, oh, there he is when we finally get to book six. So with Kingmaker, we were like, all right, let's, let's make the villain kind of a behind the scenes thing. And then the biggest complaint for Kingmaker was, why didn't we know about the villain until the very end? So, like, obviously... Well, because it's one of those, like, it's good to have a behind-the-scenes villain, but I think they just took it too far and just made her invisible until she, like, emerges at the end. Yeah, no, that's what I was getting at. Like, it was definitely, like, it was them kind of finding their footing of, like, what's a a good balance of it? But, yeah, so... (laughs) And it kind of did that in Skull and Shackles a bit, too, like... Obviously, from the very beginning of book one, we're set up that the point of this campaign is to take down Barnabas Harrigan. And then, like, that's book five. (laughs) Yep. Although, at least with that one, like, at least we were introduced to Harrigan and it had been kind of been set up that he's kind of incompetent and weird and there's something else going on. So yeah. it wasn't as, like, out of left field as Kingmaker's final boss is. Right. And then when you find out that the the final boss of book six is going to be the hurricane King uh, spoilers. Uh, <laughs> like nobody was like, wait, who exactly? <laughs> like you all knew who he was. You knew what the stakes were, but yeah. So um, with McTana, the book as written, I think it makes that option for diplomacy uh, a bit more uh, feasible, a bit more uh, believable. But so my goal was to make that final confrontation a lot more personal because that's just the way I like that. That's the way I like it, baby. And uh, I, I think a side effect of that was diplomacy. I don't think was really ever an option. Like Tom's always down for a semantics war, but beyond that, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody even like dared to think, could we get out of this just by being nice? But on, on the, on the subject of McTana though, uh, moving on to our next question. Uh, this is another one from J train one. Uh, why did you pick, this is uh, directed at me, why did you pick your wife for the voice of McTana? Uh, so, I don't know if Michelle will be listening to this, but hello, I love you. And uh, why did I, like, well, first of all, it wasn't like me, like you, you're going to be McTana. And, hey, everybody, Michelle's McTana now. Uh, it was it was, it was was a group decision. And it was, it was certainly, you know, initially, you know, my pitch to the group of, hey, I think this would be cool. Uh, but yeah, like my pitch was basically like, wh- like 
so this is the only girl I know (laughs) who needs to be a girl voice. (laughs) I assume there are other girls out there somewhere, but this is the only one I have real access to. Um, but so yeah, like, you know, there's a, there's a character coming up. That's going to be a very important character because I think at that point we hadn't even met McTana. Uh, and it's, it's a, a female character and I think it'd be a really cool kind of juxtaposition for like there to be an actual female voice doing that. And yeah, just kind of went with a vote and the group decided, yeah, let's try it. And that's uh, that's how Michelle became the voice of McTana. And I think that it went really well. Uh, yeah, that was cool. The that only, was a surprise for me. The only tricky part was actually getting her voice to be part of the episode. We'll kind of like go behind the scenes, behind the scenes here. So Michelle was never actually present during recording. For the most part, at, like her lines, like for after everybody got their stamps of approval... That was just a monologue. Like, there's no interaction. It was just a pre, uh, pre-written thing by me that McTana shows up and says. So for those, it was pretty easy enough for Michelle and me to just kind of record something beforehand or sometimes after the fact. And then Matt would just edit that in. For the parts where there was an actual dialogue, I would do, the, I would do all of McTana's lines. And afterwards, Michelle and I would just sit down and I would, we would have, like, how all the dialogue went and Michelle would just record her version of those lines and then Matt could edit it in after that was the best way we found to, uh, to make that happen. And I was a little worried at first that it wouldn't kind of translate perfectly, but I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just Matt and his, uh, magical editing, but I mean, it is partially that. And also like just, I, Obviously, I listened to the recordings that you send me with Michelle, and like the two of you, like you, you did a good job, like kind of coaching her as to like the mindset of McTana while she's reading it, and then Michelle did a really good job of emoting that. It was just, it was a very good group effort. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get another question. Uh, this one is also submitted by J Train One through Discord. This is for everyone. Do you prefer rules as written or free form for game mechanics? For me, I, it definitely is based on the situation. Like, uh, I, I'm I try to be a big proponent of the rule of cool. So, like, you stick to the rules as they're written as much as you can. But if the player wants to do something that's just really cool and not terribly game breaking, let them do it. Even though the rules technically say they probably can't. My knee jerk reaction is to avoid that, and a lot of times I think maybe I should avoid that knee jerk reaction. Uh, but in my experience, I say yes to something cause it sounds cool. And then down the road, that call comes up in from like another angle and someone's arguing, well, I should be able to do this because that worked out for that character that time. And you said it was okay. And that that hasn't happened in a long time, but that's, I think because I kind of taught myself to, unless I absolutely had to. Uh, really just kind of follow the rules as they are, even if it might seem a little unfair at times. But I'll be the first to admit that that's not always the healthiest way to do it, but that is certainly my comfort zone. 
<laughs> I like what Cam just said too. Is like it the rule of cool should also come with an understanding among the group that allowing something with that rule of cool is a one time thing. It's not setting a precedent for future events. Mm. Agree with um, that. my uh, my personal thing is like I hate hypocrisy. Like that's like, and I feel like rules negate out hypocrisy so uh, like i really like rules just like as a as a general example like um the uh the back in the tooth fairy uh house the palace uh, of teeth uh, the palace of teeth yeah a couple people got a little bit irritated with me for just uh, initiating the fight and then like alex posted a fantastic meme of like Oh, when uh, you know Rogiar does it, it's fine. <laughs> but when like Viper does it, like, oh, what the fuck? Like, um, so like, I, I I really struggle with hypocrisy. So like, rules are like my bread and butter. Uh, I like following them, and I like seeing things work. I will say to that point, I don't want to get into a whole big argument here, but I did call out my own hypocrisy at the time, and mm-hmm. two. They were not the same situation, but I don't want to get too far into that right now. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) Uh, For Uh, me personally, I'm definitely more towards, I don't like, I I, I like more room for bending rules. More on things that are insignificant, right? Like if they're not going to be game changing to the outcome of an important battle or an important encounter. Like sometimes there's just cool little flavor things or character things that I've encountered. And it's just like, there really isn't a rule that lets you do something like that. Right. And in those instances, I, I'm more of the, well, just wash the rule. Like it's not hurting anything. It's not changing anything substantially. Yeah. Like I said, that's, that's something that I, at times, uh, I, I've been trying to kind of lean a little bit farther into that. But again, like it's, it's something I have to consciously try to do. Otherwise, I'm just like, no. Yeah, it kind of goes These against your nature. I think some mind. of that, too, might be because you, when you, for years, you're, the beginning of your DMing was all homebrews. So, yeah. like, you yeah. didn't have the safety net of, like, these are completely flushed out working rules or environments and encounters. Like, and now that yeah. you've gotten to AP DMing, it's like, okay, I know these rules work, so don't fuck with something that's not broken. Right. Random uh, example from those bygone eras uh, was Nick made a maneuver master monk. <laughs> oh, dude, that was funny. And he that was, was like, before I joined the group too. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, "What if I had a rope and I could lasso people?" And I was like, "I don't think there's any skills that like have to do with ropes." All right, let's make one up, and let's just say it's uh, you know, you make that skill check in place of a of a CMB. And then you grapple him with the rope. Fucking horrible mistake. Because Nick was just range grappling everything as a maneuver master monk. And it just broke my campaign. Uh, and that was just un- that was just one of the examples that reinforced what became my current standpoint of it's not in the rules. Don't touch it. Yeah, I hogtied uh, a lot of baddies in that campaign. I really did. <laughs> um, something I will say uh, is like... I like uh, more specifically with the things that we've been dealing with more recently where like these situations where people are uh, 
uh, under the like spell of somebody and like we can't do anything about it. I like countering. Uh, I, I would like a counter to those things. So like under the suggest spell, like you know me slapping Phalias on the ass, like those type of countering situations where yeah, like yeah, this person is like under the spell but like you know to get out of it you have to like sacrifice this amount of hp to it yeah and that i think that me like so in that example when Thalias was under the suggestion spell take all his armor and shit off and vipera clawed his ass up to get him out of it uh that wasn't in the rules like the suggestion spell only said that they can't do obviously dangerous or suicidal actions and Tom was trying to work around that, saying, if you continue to follow these orders, you will be hurt. Kind of meeting those parameters, kind of. But I don't, it, wasn't, it wasn't really lining up for me, but I made a compromise and I was like, all right, well, if Tom wants to sacrifice his standard action doing that and also sacrifice some hit points off of Thalias, I'll let Thalias make a new will save. I think that's a combination of me trying to be more into the, you know, it's not in the rules, but let's find a way to make it work. And also me having a better understanding of what would be a balanced call in this moment than what I had back when I was letting Nick flurry of lasso <laughs> people from 30 feet away. Okay, so moving on from um, that, I got. Uh, I'll do the next question because I don't. Someone like one of the guys, um, the horror just submitted it on the Discord, and I don't want to forget it sure. as the chat keeps going. Um, so the horror asks: Should retiring a PC warrant a level de- level demotion for the replacement PC? My immediate snap reaction is absolutely not, and I say that because ultimately. All of us are doing this to have fun. And I, there's nothing worse. And I, I don't know if this has actually ever been said in a recording, but in Skull and Shackles, I retired the hood. Now, it just happened to be that in that recording, he died naturally. Like, I legitimately rolled two ones back to back. It just was a weird coincidence that that was the episode we were planning on him dying anyways because I didn't want to play him anymore. And like that that fight you were planning to let him die yes. and he just happened to roll the dice perfectly yeah. to make that happen. Like it's, whatever it was whatever very Nick serendipitous. Rolled, yeah, whatever Nick rolled versus that attack. It was two we were ones, going to honestly. say that he failed, but he went and rolled two ones anyway. Like yep. that actually happened. Like Axel literally sent me a text on my phone that said, "Okay, this is where he's going to die and I roll two ones." I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> who am i to disagree <laughs> so but thanks for, thanks for cooperating roll 20 <laughs> all of this was to get to the point that i was not enjoying playing that character and i don't think it would ever be conducive to having fun to say if you're not enjoying a character you can make a new one but you're gonna get punished for it i agree with that yeah i i try to if if somebody's saying that they want to retire a character my go-to response is usually to find out why and see if there's a way that I, as the GM, can fix it. If there's something that I can facilitate to help them have fun with that character again. Because I feel like a lot of times it's 
usually something silly or just some circumstantial reason that they're not having fun. And I would rather fix that than have them make a new character and, and risk the them problem. having, yeah, risk them not having fun again for the same problems or for like completely different problems. But yeah, if at the end of the day, if the, at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, no, like I don't want to play this character anymore. And you know, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm not going to re reroll then. Yeah. That's the, at least the way we play. This is meant to be a competitive sort of uh game like as much as we play up the whole you know alex versus the rest of us aspect like we're all here to have fun as a group yeah uh so and beat alex (laughs) and most importantly (laughs) fuck me uh yeah so if having fun means finding a way to retire a character whether they die or become mickey mouse and (laughs) then they play a, a, a new character that they can have more fun with then fuck yeah. I'll, I'll never try to hamstring them for doing that. Uh, I will say too, the thing that Alex has done whenever replacement characters come in that I really like is there's everyone knows there's that wealth by level chart that like is supposed to act like a guideline for DMs, but players also use it when they're designing like a 10th level character. This is how much gold I have for items. What Alex does is when you bring in a new character you have the wealth of a character one level lower. So I think that honestly balances out pretty well when bringing a new character into an AP because when you're building a new character from scratch at ninth level, you can bring out all the gear that you want that is perfectly suited for that character. Whereas, like, for example, in you know when, uh, when Ivan came in, you had Ivan versus Devoth. Like, Devoth had a lot of cool items, but, like he didn't really get to like shop around and pick those specific items. That's just what the AP gave us. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ivan got to come in with items that he specifically picked out to make his character better. So I think giving them a little less wealth to do that is a good way to balance that without making them underpowered from like a leveling standpoint. Yeah, that's a, a very good point. I kind of forgot about that because we just, we went a whole book without anybody dying. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, great question, though. Um, I like that. Uh, here's a follow-up from Lady of Toast, too. What about dead character items? What do we do with those? So and I know that was addressed. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is a different situation. Um, so the way that we treat it in Skull and Shackles, because these are two very different campaigns, Skull and Shackles was just, like, you guys had all the freedom to go wherever you want at any time uh, and, like, get items anytime you wanted. So we had this rule where if a PC died and they had an item on them that was immediately beneficial to another PC, then they could take that. Uh, Otherwise, that item stayed with the PC. Basically, there was no let's loot the PC, sell all their shit, and we just get that extra wealth. And there was really no narrative translation for why th- we did that. But just for the sake of balance, that was kind of the the bargain that we struck. I don't even think t- we got gold either, like off of... No. no yeah, yeah, the, any wealth that they had died with them. With but. Tyrant's Grasp, I don't know. This is a completely different kind of campaign. And you guys might need to just completely scrap 
everything off of a dead PC in order to survive. We might have to eat a dead yeah. PC to survive. <laughs> <laughs> like, Who knows? Just, just as a hypothetical, like if Vipira was to die, like ne- in next week's session, like I take think, everything. I think yeah, Rogar would have a nice new set of breastplate. So oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that, Matt. <laughs> Like you're Wait, really gonna, gonna say she would eat, No, I thought like <laughs> are you really gonna say Rugiar would eat her? Like we're not that stranded. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, so we haven't we haven't had to have that conversation yet, and on, I'm honestly not sure. Well, we're not going to moment, have to have it, remember? What? We're never That's gonna true. have to have that conversation. It'll That's all be true. good. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a very good question, a very good follow up question uh, from Lady of Toast. Let's move on. Does any do are there any other questions from players? Well, there's we actually another there's, fan question. There's another question in the Discord. Sir Reinhardt wanted to know any do any of the players have theories on what happened to Father Crow amidst the Dead Roads? Um, Ooh. So exactly what the Harrow card said. He's he's hanged up on a cross somewhere. Yeah, but I I kind of thought that was gonna be with McTana, honestly. Like I think that was kind of always me as the player and kind of my character's thought was whether he got kidnapped or he decided to go back to her. Like that was kind of what I thought was gonna happen. But I had a well. Any other theories? And I don't like I don't know like. I, I have a sort of definitive answer, but I don't know. Does anybody want to hear it? Or would we rather yeah. keep it up in the air? I mean, Vipira thought that he was a pretty sketchy uh, dude. Uh, but me personally, I feel like he likes dead things. Uh, so, like, I feel like he, he felt comfortable there, like, enough to kind of just leave us there, I mm-hmm. guess. I know that seems weird, but like maybe he just like felt comfortable in that area. Yeah, I think Rogiar was kind of torn between like because obviously he left like th- those two wands behind very deliberately, so he definitely wasn't chased out. So I know like Rogiar was was kind of torn between did he just kind of like walk away and say like you know here's these things you guys keep going and just walked into the mist like fuck it i'm done or did maybe was there some kind of divine intervention like he was a he was a priest of i think it was uh iomade right so like maybe iomade sent someone to retrieve him from the dead roads like kind of bypassing the whole soul cue from the boneyard we like rogar has no idea he just he knows it wasn't in like immediate danger type of thing. So here's my answer, and I don't want to. I've got to kind of tiptoe around some things with this answer, but so obviously we we all know the reason that Andrew stepped away was so he could manage his uh, depression and anxiety, which uh, had been starting to uh, kind of build up for him, and you know we all respected that decision, and. Uh, he and I kind of worked out like, well, how do we, how do we get father crow out of the story with the, you know, with the understanding that, you know, when, when you're feeling up to it, you can, you can come back after a while, Andrew and I kind of came to an understanding of 
maybe that's not going to happen after all. And I don't want to, I don't want anything to be, you know, set in stone with this, you know, especially with Andrew not being here, but that's, that's kind of, that's kind of where we left it off on last. And that's kind of how I'm going to be operating going forward. Uh, but the initial plan uh, and this was going to be kind of a flashback scene that happened when you guys first entered Death Bower. Would be the scene that uh, that played not not for the PCs to be aware of, but just kind of for the players to to see and maybe be something that the PCs could discover later down the road. But basically, during his watch, Father Crow was visited by McTana, not in person. But she kind of sent a uh, like a rose petal to him, through which uh, she and he could have uh, shared dialogue. And uh, McTana basically told him, "Whatever did this to you that, that made you these abominations? It's still out there, and I want you, and not your friends, to go back to the material plane and find it for me." At which point, Father Crow said, would say something like. As a priest of Iamade, you can't expect me to abandon my friends. At which point, McTana would go, Ah, but you aren't a priest of Iamade, are you? And this would have been a pretty big bomb drop for everybody, because that's what he said he was. And it would have been revealed that his holy symbol was all, was actually kind of like a Rubik's Cube kind of situation. It could be like, unclipped and like unfolded and it could turn into another holy symbol but the scene wouldn't have revealed what holy symbol it turned into but he would have reconfigured his holy symbol and would have been like conversing with it saying what do you think listen for a minute nod his head okay and then he says to mctana i accept mctana says okay here's what you're gonna do and then the scene would end so the players Wild. would go, yeah. So the players would go forward, knowing that, and the audience knowing, Father Crow wasn't actually a priest of Iamade, but some other god or goddess. But the player, the the PCs themselves wouldn't have, you know, known any different. And then they, you know, maybe they found that uh, Ion Stone in Death Bower is like, wait, is this Father Crow's? I don't know. And maybe at that point, there could have been more of a dialogue with McTana on. Uh, the subject of Father Crow, but by the time we played through that, it was pretty clear that m- that there wouldn't have, there would most likely not have been any payoff for it. So we just, I just kind of, I decided to to leave it out. That said, Andrew, we uh, we we all miss you. We all miss playing with you. And Father Crow is an awesome character. And uh, you know, we just hope that you're that you're doing good, buddy. We love you. We love you. And, yep. and if, the audience misses you too. Yeah, and if if uh, if you wind up listening to this, uh, just know that the 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 chat that is listening to this live is blowing up right now. You are getting mad uh, chat BJ's right now. <laughs> I think let's. Uh, I think we have time for like two more questions before we need to move on to the next section. Otherwise, we'll be here all night. Yeah. <laughs> let's do uh, questions submitted by Cam through Patreon. What will be run for that sick-ass $50 Patreon reward? How many players can I bring? When, when is the next Merc Drop coming? My answer to those is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
confident as um, ever. And also part of that, he wants to know like, if we have any ideas what the next merch set is going to be. Oh, what? Okay. I must have just mistyped when I uh, when I wrote it out for my own purposes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll, I don't know if, uh, if I should be keeping this to myself or not, but basically our merch drops are kind of... Uh, thrown together like yo we should have done a merch drop like last month yo let's let's do this what should we do i don't know let's figure something out uh maybe not that bad but our merch drops are uh are they they are they are to brand i think is the best way to put it (laughs) as for the 50 dollar patreon reward uh with the uh the like the one shot the 50 dollar patrons get yeah, I I I feel like that and the follow-up question of how many players can I bring, I think that's up to the donor. Like if you want to like I I we're a pat we're a Pathfinder podcast. I feel like if you're donating $50 for us and you like us that much, you probably also like Pathfinder a lot. But if you I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. You guys can correct me, but I feel like if they wanted to run like a D&D 5e game, we like all right, I'll I'll stumble my way through a a five e one shot for you paying fifty dollars a month for us. Wait, am I being the GM for the one of these? No, never. Uh, every single <laughs> I am. every single one. Yeah, like I I feel like it's you know it's it's up to it's up to you the donor. Uh, if if you want to play Pathfinder, uh, thank you. If not, then well, we'll figure it out. Uh, if you want to fucking play Battleship, yeah, like whatever you want to do. And if you want to bring, like, if if you want, if you've got like five friends that you want to really do a one shot with, and just like just have me run it, like that's fine. Or if you want to be a player with the other players here at Inspiring Competence and have me run it, that's fine. Or have Matt run it, that's fine. I feel like it's your call. Like you, you set the parameters what you want us to do, and we'll dance for you. Just understand the consequences of the. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Uh, Lydia Toast just threw out, could the $50 patrons run a one-shot for us? Hey, if you're spending $50, absolutely. And I don't need to do extra work for it? Fuck yeah. Are those going to be recorded? Um, That's something we haven't discussed yet. That's that's probably something that we'll figure out once we get a little closer. And it's probably going to depend on the patron, because some people are going to be more comfortable having their stuff out there, you know. Yeah. And I we, think that's a good call. We yeah. also need to make sure that the equipment is uh correct. Yeah, we got to have some at least some decent sound quality. Yeah. We don't want to sound like uh, you know episodes 1, 2 and 3 of Skull and Shackles again. Woof. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, last question, also submitted by Cam through Patreon. Uhtred X Vipera when? <laughs> <laughs> we got shippers. You know. <laughs> That's how you know that you've got a, a real strong fan base Our, when people uh, are shipping your characters. Uh, Where's the people shipping Rogyar and Thalias? <laughs> we're Uber. <laughs> uh, well, to, to if, if I could uh, put a serious answer to that probably meant to be silly question, I feel like any sort of actual character like a romantic relationship between two pcs is probably not something you're ever gonna see because that would force like with those two characters as an example you're basically forcing tom and nick to do some pretty uncomfortable yeah excuse me i am an actor each other okay (laughs) an actor 
That said, if you, pay, if you if greedy you, little bitches want some hero points, I'll do a lot for you. <laughs> if, if we get $500 in our Patreon page, you know that it's going to be a thing. Listen, I recently learned Tom, how to tie the California love knot, so anything's possible. Holy shit. All right, so that so moving on from Q and A, uh, we're gonna go to uh, player thoughts on book one. I see this is just kind of being an open discussion. Anyone who has any thoughts or impressions of book one, like initial thoughts, final thoughts, lasting thoughts, the story, the characters, the pacing, anything else that you look for in a story or a game, uh, just. Any 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 thoughts that you want to bring to the table on book one in general, like, and I and I mean general, just any anything. So Go. many dungeons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At this point, any house that we enter, I just feel is going to be the last <laughs> one that we enter. Yeah. Like, like I knew this was going to be like a dungeon heavy AP. I was not expecting five dungeons in book one. Yeah, with the exception of, like, the ghostly Roslar's Coffer, there was literally, and, like, you trudging on the dead roads, those were literally the only two settings of book one that wasn't a dungeon. It was pretty insane. Uh, I can, I, I'll tell you that book two is not going to be as as dungeon heavy, but for it the campaign... It seems like it's more of a sandbox, at least for now. For the campaign at large, uh, those dungeons aren't going anywhere. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I, I think... Book one was the hardest book that I've ever played. I also think it was the most rewarding book so far for me. Not just because it was hard. I think just this being the second AP and seeing where we're at on book one of the second AP versus the first AP. Like, just so much better at everything from production the playing the in character i feel like a much personally like a much better player like so yeah and i will say like sorry yeah like to that point too i know this ap a lot of it is almost like forced on us because there aren't a lot of npcs for us to bounce off of we have to create that interaction ourselves whereas with skull and shackles there were npcs everywhere for us to interact with which made a lot more work for Alex but it was it made things easier for us but it also made things a bit less interesting because we didn't get to explore those interparty dynamics as much yeah, yeah. i mean uh, and that's one aspect of it but it's not just like the role play it's literally everything right like our understanding of mechanics and rules and the the, the added sound effects and music to the episodes like Book one was a lot of like able to look back and be like, wow, look how different we're doing this one than the last one. Yeah, I I, I share Nick's sentiment a lot. The 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 improvement that you guys have made as players from Skull and Shackles to Tyrant's Grasp is like it doesn't feel like the same podcast. And I mean, it's not like we rebranded into Inspired Incompetence, but like we managed to rebrand. Get <laughs> the the rebrand like is real like you can feel the difference in a like to to put it frankly in in the product that we're selling here like the the rp the 
the the tactics, the 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 backstories that you guys have made, every every element of being a player character is like you guys have just like you you've you've gotten you've gotten incredible. And like not not that you were like a a bunch of sacks of shit and skull and shackles or anything, but like I feel like where we were with skull and shackles was pretty indicative of like what your average gaming group looked like and I, and that's absolutely fine that was probably a big part of the allure for us for skull and shackles because we were just like an average uh gaming group but i feel that what we are now is like i would say like a golden standard i think to to point to for like what makes a really really good group well, pat's on backs for me and everyone else <laughs> for real any other thoughts for book one? Yeah, that was tight. Good luck, book number two. Oh, and I just want to assure <laughs> any of the listeners, as we grow and change, we promise that Joe will not. He will always be the Joe that you know and love. <laughs> He's our rock. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And I will say, like, just to, yeah, just to bounce back to like the character backstory thing that they mentioned, the prime example of that is that you know Joe and Alex actually sat down and have a very intricate and well thought out story for Joe's character, whereas the masked helmet, the entire backstory was he wears a mask and a helmet. That's not an exaggeration. Yeah. <laughs> it was I, like that character was conceptualized when we were playing Kingmaker, and I don't even remember what the context was, but it was just a joke. That it was like a superhero named the Masked Helmet, and he wore a helmet, and over that, like, and the helmet was masked. Like, the helmet's identity was kept a secret. He was the Masked Helmet, and Joe just ran with it, and when it came time to make a new character for Skull and Shackles, he was like, yep, that's my character. I was like, all right, cool, where does he come from? No, 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 no. Like, we just... (laughs) You don't, you don't understand. (laughs) 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 yeah and that spawned the whole mass brotherhood yeah well yeah the the mass shield came and joe was like all right let's because mass helmet died and i i sent joe i i think a a a very tactfully worded email (laughs) of i'd like you to challenge yourself to (laughs) to make to make a more dynamic character that can kind of mesh with the rest of the group better and joe took that in stride and made an entire fucking secret organization that then fell to me to like flesh out so salty uh, so salty which the uh which to this day hasn't happened it, the mass brotherhood was the masked helmet but it's an organization <laughs> yeah that's a great way <laughs> is that it that. like yeah well that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah yeah no so yeah i got what i i got what i i asked for uh all right so let's wrap things up here and i want to hear player thoughts on what's to come uh so just like another uh open discussion like we just did uh, and not not from your characters' perspectives. That's that's gonna we're gonna go over that in an actual session in book two. And I know that there's there's no beating around the bush because we do these ahead of time a little bit. So we've had a couple sessions in book two already. We'll just I'll just put that out there. But I feel like for the most part things are pretty still pretty like unknown for like the future of the campaign. But yeah, so you the players. What 
do what are your thoughts on what's to come? What expectations do you have? Um, I'll take this one, Alex. My you got uh, it. My next character is going to be awesome. You guys are going to love him. <laughs> you mean in the next AP, though? Oh, yeah, right. If you take Nick's two extra hero points from him, he Seriously. will come to your house I, and take a shit on your porch. I made that bet based off of Joe. <laughs> I should have known I fucked up. <laughs> He's already talking about his next character. Jeez. Well, anybody else? Um, I'm definitely excited to see what actually happened in Roslar's Coffer. Because as far as I know, we have absolutely no memory of it. Like, that's something, I think, yes, me and Nick were talking about that the other day. What's the, like, is the last thing that Rogyar and Uhtred remember is them being in the tavern? Like, do they remember going back and falling asleep? Or the, the last thing they remember is having a drink in the tavern and then waking up in a coffin? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, like, just that sheer lack of knowledge is... Definitely something that I'm looking forward to to filling. The the only real clue that you guys have been given was actually in Joe's flashback. It was in Thalias's flashback. Yep. He was in the graveyard. There's spooky figure wearing a mask, staring him down. All of a sudden the mask looks over at the town as if distracted by something. Thalias looks over in time to see just a green flash coming from everywhere. And then that's the last thing he remembers. Oh, I lot. forgot about that. It's me who remembers it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, because Thias was the only person who was outside. So, like, everybody else was like in a church or in a pub. And then they just remember waking up in Roslar's tomb. Thias is the only person with any sort of like hint that something happened at all. Ah, jeez. Any other. Uh, thoughts on what's to come? Any other uh, closing impressions? You know, I think what's going to end up happening is uh, I don't think we're going to find <laughs> like I'm addicted to stores at this point, and like, <laughs> like you shopaholic. Well, so like here's the thing though, like I feel like those are like really good like save points for us, kind of like thing. Like, oh, that's where I bought this. Okay, so I remember like where we are now. Uh, we we <laughs> like this is worse than fucking Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no no fishing villages for us to plunder this time either. Right. Yeah. Remember those? That was so Uh, fun. The good old days. So, like, right now I'm kind of very, like, I'm very torn up. Like, when the fuck are we, like, going to see, like, safety? Because, like, stores also mean relative safety. Like, you're in civilian, like... Right. civilization yeah. territory You're not likely to be in a shop like window shopping the shopkeeper's like hurry it up will you, you never know when those when those maniacs are gonna come back and kill us all like uh no like we're we're in a store like like we can take our time and shop and that's why we're here uh but yeah that's uh when will you have the opportunity will you ever have the opportunity oh well fuck <laughs> yeah that's because again like for skull and shackles you guys didn't have the opportunity to, to shop once in book one. Book two, uh, you had that opportunity when you went to Rickety Squibs for the first time. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so who knows if uh, it'll be something similar to that or if it'll be much, much longer. Ugh. I know. 
I have all the answers. Uh, yeah. So with 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 that, I think that's a good. I think that's a good uh, spot to to call it. Uh, anyone have any closing thoughts? I have uh, no idea what's coming in this AP. Yeah. <laughs> like not the Skull and Shackles. It was like you know book one. Like okay, Harrigan's gonna have to get fought at some point. And then it was pretty easy to pick up. Like well, one of us probably has to become king. Like this one. Uh, yeah. Okay. I have no idea. Like I don't. Not only do I not know like who we're supposed to fight. Like I don't even know what happened to my character yet. Probably some uh, giant tyrant that uh, has a grasp. I mean, yeah, uh, like obviously the whispering tyrant, but like I, I'm just gonna say this, and maybe maybe I'm overextending. There is a scene before the end of book two that I am just wriggling with excitement for you guys to get to. Oh, super. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the sound of that. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't like that terminology. Every <laughs> time in this AP that you've been like I'm so excited for this, I my character's had a terrible time. <laughs> Maybe not physically and through like HP loss, but it's always been a terrible time. And and there's is sort of related to that. There's I there's a question just hanging out there waiting for someone to pluck it to ask it there's a question that is just i feel like it's a matter of time before the pcs go wait a minute it's out there and that's another thing that i'm waiting for yeah yeah there's a a couple a couple things i'm particularly excited for i'm excited for all of book two uh it's it's a great book most most of the books in this campaign are really good or really good and i'm i'm looking forward to like the whole thing but yeah let's uh let's just see what happens next week on the inspired and confidence podcast cool see you see you see you see you